right, as Neil says, the reading this morning is from the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapter 25, verses 1 to 35. Now, it's quite long, so if you want to follow it, it's on page 297 of the Pew Bibles, which are shoved under the seat in front of you. So 1 Samuel, 20, verse 20, uh, chapter 25, verses 1 to 35, page 297. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Maon. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men, ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now, I hear that it is sheep-shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not ill-treat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my young men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned round and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Put on your swords! So they put on their swords, and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messages, messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not ill-treat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us at the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayers of roasted corn, a hundred cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, 
There were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. David had just said, It has been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I have left alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, May your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Andrew. Are these uh, people wise or foolish? Charlie is an investment banker and he's been putting together the deal of his life and he discovers a system whereby he could avoid paying taxes. Technically legal, but morally questionable. And yet, because of his faith... The deal collapses and he misses out. He decides not to do it. Was Charlie wise or was he foolish? Maxim has just lost his job as a pilot and he's struggling to find um, work. Money has become tight and his wife uh, have all, he and his wife have always given 10% 
of their income to God instead of cutting their giving because they are Christians. They decide to downsize and move house so they can have a more affordable mortgage. So still prioritize giving. Is Maxim wise or foolish? Chloe works for a robotics consultancy. Her whole team loathe their boss, who is difficult to work with. Everyone is constantly complaining about her because she is yet yeah, because she's a Christian. She tries not to join in. But her colleagues find this hard to cope with, and so they no longer invite her out to social drinks on a Friday night. Is Chloe wise or foolish? Let us pray. God our Father, we pray now as we come to your word, we pray that we come under it, and we pray that your spirit would be our teacher this morning. For we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. There is some uh, outline, if you would like that, if you find that helpful, uh, on the the bulletin. Um, But please do keep your Bibles open at page 297. 1 Samuel chapter 25 is at the point in Israel's history where um, we have two uh, kings. We have, there's the king on the throne, Saul, and there's the king on the run, that's David. Um, And Saul has been rejected by God, and he's actually trying to kill David. And as the people come into the story uh, and meet the different characters, they have a a decision to make. Uh, Do they follow the king on the throne, or do they follow the king who is on the run? Will they be wise or foolish? Not only that, but David also has... um, a decision to make. Will he continue to trust in the Lord or will he take matters into his own hands and try and take the throne by force? So we're going to look at these two types of decisions. The first decision is the two responses to God's anointed king. And the first one there is Nabal. David, on the run, goes into the desert and comes to Nabal who is very wealthy, it tells us he has lots of stuff, but he was a fool, as his name suggests. His wife, on the other hand, Abigail, is completely different. It says that she was intelligent and beautiful, and you wonder how they actually got together, but that's another story. David welcomes Nabal's men during the shearing season and did not ill-treat them. And so David sends his men to Nabal, asking for some help in return, looking for some neighborliness, some neighborly kindness. You see, everyone knew who David was, and so he's working out what Nabal is going to do. Will he, will he welcome him? Will he welcome David, the anointed king, the king on the run? He has a choice. Verse 10 gives us the answer. Who is this David? Of course, that's not a real question, for, for he then says, who is this son of Jesse? And then he says, many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. You see, he's alluding to the fact that he knows about the situation with Saul. 
You see, Nabal has, has made his choice. He wants nothing to do with David. He doesn't want to give his bread or his water or his meat away. Nabal is self-absorbed, isn't he, in his own possessions. He's a very wealthy man. He has no kindness to show David, no friendship, no concern. Of course, there are many Nabals today in their response to King Jesus, the anointed king. Some course have genuine questions you may have genuine questions here you know who is Jesus can I really trust him but others just look at Jesus from a from a kind of distance and ask what's in it for me what's it going to cost me you see Nabal is um, looking at the anointed king on the run and simply making a kind of profit loss calculation Letting him into my life and my situation, that's going to cost me. I don't want to know uh, him because it will change my life totally. It will change my balance sheet. It will change the cost-benefit analysis that I make each day. And Nabal sees nothing in it for himself in this anointed king. So often it's the same for us, Jesus, the king, we see from a distance that he has nothing in it for me. Contrast it with Abigail here. Abigail is alert to the seriousness of the situation. David is, is furious and he's out to get him and, and she acts quickly. Look at verse 18 with me. Abigail lost no time, it says. She, she took the food went out to meet David and his men, and when she sees David, verse 23, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet. Why is her response so different from that of Nabal? Because she had faith. She believed God's promise. She recognized who David was. This is, this is God's anointed king, chosen, that one day will reign on the, on the throne. And she does the wise thing, doesn't she? She bows down and she looks for mercy. See the key verse there in verse 28. Please forgive your servant's offence, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he finds the Lord's battles. Notice that word there, dynasty. That's really important. Abigail is the first person, I think, to say this. God says there will be a dynasty of the line of David. One great king will come, anointed Messiah, the Christ, King Jesus. And here in chapter 25, by faith, Abigail gets it. A dynasty. Not only David will be king, but he points us forward to a greater king. Verse 29. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master, David, will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. What, a, what an amazing statement that is. 
bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. God has got your back. That's what Abigail is saying to David. God will protect you. God will surround you. He will bring you to be leader, verse 30. And when he does, verse 31, see what Abigail asks. Remember me, your servant. Remember me, your servant. Faith. She knows he will be king, and she wants to be remembered by the king. She wants to be remembered by the king. What about you this morning? Do you want to be remembered by the king? Do you want to be remembered by the king of kings, the Lord Jesus? You see, it was Abigail who was wise. And we can, we can ignore God's anointed king. You can kind of push him uh, away and, uh, and ignore him for great stretches of, of time. You can pretend that he's not there. But one day, ultimately, we will all stand before the king of kings. Will he remember you? It's a really important question. A day later, Nabal dies. For those who, you see, the seriousness of this situation, for those who, who, who don't respond to the Lord's anointed king, things do not end well. Abigail trusts David as God's anointed king. And in the same way, the decision for us today is, will we be wise and trust in the king of kings, the Lord Jesus? In the eyes of the world, it might look foolish. It might look like a silly decision. It may look economically a bad deal. It may mean downsizing. It may mean being ridiculed. It may mean missing out on drinks on a, on a Friday night. But in God's eyes, it's the most wise thing that you could ever do. Two ways to respond. What about two ways to live? The second, two ways to live, force or patience. Chapters 24 and 26 actually hang together as one. And in them, David faces a choice as well, an equally important choice. You see, two paths lay there for him, the throne to take the throne of And choice one is to wait patiently for God to bring him to the throne at the right time. Or choice two is to take it by force. Take matters, you see, into his own hands. In chapter 24, Saul is hunting down David. David is, is hiding in a cave with men, uh, with his men, sorry. When lo and behold, Saul walks in to relieve himself. Go back and have a look at it. It's, a, it's an amazing story. And you can imagine the men thinking, his men thinking, I can't believe this. Now's the time to kill Saul. What a temptation that must have been for, for David. Can you imagine it? And yet David says, no. God has anointed Saul, and it will be God who decides when he, his time is up. I will trust the Lord. I will live by faith. The Lord will vindicate me. 
And so David just cuts a piece off his robe instead to demonstrate his absolute innocence. And David shouts out, I could have killed you, but I'm trusting in the Lord. He will vindicate me. In chapter 26, you get the same, a similar situation. This time, Saul and his men are asleep in the camp. And David and Abishah creep into the camp. And verse 22 tells us that the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. They see Saul asleep with his spear next to his head and his water jug as well. And Abishar comes along and thinks this is the moment for David to kill Saul and take the throne by force. But once again, David says, no, this is the Lord's anointed. Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Instead, what does he do? He takes the spear, he takes the water jug, goes outside and he shouts from a hill, Saul, I could have killed you. I am innocent. Why do you keep pursuing me? I'm trusting in the Lord. He's the one who will vindicate me. Go back and have a look at those stories. You've got these two occasions, temptations for David to sin by asserting himself over a situation. Instead of denying himself and living by faith. His colleagues, what did they think? They probably thought he was mad. Probably thought, well, we could have saved ourselves months of of wandering around the desert, living like fugitives on the run. But David was determined to do what was right and to trust in the Lord. Do the right thing and let God be God and do his thing. So sandwiched between these two um, events, you have chapter 25. And David faces a similar temptation here that we had read. For David was provoked to anger uh, at Nabal's insults, and he wants to kill him, to pursue him and his men. But of course that would have been a gross overreaction, wouldn't it? It would also have been deeply inconsistent. In a situation, he was the one, this time, being rash. He hadn't stopped to think, is this right? He was just driven by his own pride. He injured. His pride had been injured. Because we all know what that's like, don't we? When our pride is injured, or we have our nose at a joint... What are we tempted to do? Probably like, like me, you're tempted to, to fly off the handle, aren't you? To steam into the situation and to try and get back. All guns blazing, sometimes we say. How dare you, we think and feel. You want to get back, don't you? You want to injure them. And when this happens, it's very dangerous. It's impulsive. It's an action, isn't it, driven by raw emotion. Stop. Stop. And ask, what does God want? It was a dangerous moment. It was a really dangerous moment for David. He was being just like Saul, wasn't he? 1 Samuel stresses repeatedly over and over again just how innocent David 
was and how different he was from Saul, how he trusted in the Lord. Yes, he's not sinless, but when God tells him to do something, he does it. And now everything could just unravel in front of him. And so God, by his grace, sends him Abigail. Verse 28, again, let no wrong be found in you as long as you live. And verse 31, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. And David changes his mind. David changes his mind. He listens to Abigail. Verse 33, may you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself. You see, there were two paths to the throne David could have taken. One is through self-assertion. I'm going to just take it by force. And the other is patience and trust in the Lord. But it was a close call, wasn't it? And we know in 2 Samuel what happens when David commits adultery with Bathsheba and has a husband killed in battle. And we know we are left thinking, aren't we? We need a better king. We need somebody who is not going to fall into temptation. A true king who is innocent, who is sinless, who doesn't fall for temptation. And the Bible says that person is Jesus Christ. Is David's greater son, the one from the dynasty that we all need. You see, Jesus faced temptation. He too was in the desert when Satan tempted him. Tempting Jesus to do what? To assert himself. Wasn't it? To, to, to shortcut himself to glory that would avoid suffering in the cross. And Jesus resisted, denying himself and trusting that God would vindicate him. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus cried out, yet not my what I will, but what you will. Absolute innocence, absolute sinless. The one to whom David points to, obedient to death, even death on a cross, entrusted to God the Father, who will vindicate him. And in a similar way, God calls his followers, that's if you, if you put your trust in Jesus, that's you and me, to take up our cross and follow. We too face choices. You face choices all day between folly and wisdom, between self-assertion and self-denial, between force and between trust. And which will we choose? I mean, temptation can be so hard to resist, can't it? We are not sinless. Especially when we're out there on our front lines, when we're there tomorrow morning, Will I take the way of the Lord Jesus, self-denial, or will I take the way of the world? The values of self-worth, self-expression, self-fulfillment, self-assertion. Self-denial. It's frowned on, isn't it? It's actually more and more seen as dangerous to deny yourself. It's seen as foolish. 
I don't know what the issues you face tomorrow, but you will be faced with temptations, just as I am, to knee-jerk reactions, to get back. And the Bible says, don't revenge. It's the Lord's to repay. Don't take things into your own hands. Maybe it's in in a situation in, in your marriage. It's been a a rocky time. Your spouse isn't paying you any attention. You find yourself attracted to to someone else who is is not your your spouse. What will you do? Will you let it grow? Take matters into your own hands? Be self-assertive? The world says, live life to the max. Don't deny your feelings. Don't be hurtful to your ego. If it feels right, express yourself. But the Bible says no. Do the right thing. Jesus says deny yourself and follow me. Trust me. It will be tough. It may lead to suffering. No one said a marriage was easy. But it's the wise thing to do. Or maybe it's money. I don't know, money. Is tight and you're offered some extra work on the side. The HMRC, they'll never know about it. It's cash in hand. The world will say, be self assertive. Everyone does it. Go for it. You've earned it. And the Bible says, no. If you're a follower of me, if you're a follower of the anointed king, Deny yourself, do the right thing. Jesus says, deny yourself. It's ultimately the wise thing. Two ways to live. So as we close, I don't know, maybe you have big decisions. Maybe it's to become a Christian. That's a big decision, isn't it? Maybe you're concerned what it will mean. What will others think? How will it impact your life? Perhaps for others, you face big decisions in your place of work on your front lines as you seek to follow the Lord Jesus. It's likely that some of those decisions will be considered foolish. The Bible says faith in the living God, faith in the Son of God, faith in the anointed King, faith in the Lord Jesus is the true wisdom. Will you make that choice? Let's pray. Our God, our Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning and we pray that if we've not already responded to your anointed King Jesus, that we would do that, that we do the wise thing. And for those of us who are following the anointed King Jesus, we pray, Father, that you will help us to make wise decisions, decisions that may lead into self-denial, We pray that you'll help us by your spirit, that you would lead us and remind us of the truth of your gospel, that we are bound up in the living by the Lord God. In his name we pray. Amen.